Welcome to After the Buzzer. I'm Bob Wallace, the chair of the sports law practice at Thompson Coburn, a nationwide law firm of 380 attorneys with offices across the country. Altogether, I've spent 35 years in the national sports arena. What we want to do is host a smart, probative show dedicated to discussing issues that impact sports or that sports impacts. We hope to discuss topics and issues beyond the score, beyond the winners and losers, beyond who gets hired and fired. I want to talk about the hows, the whys, the whens, and the becauses. As we're about to begin the college football season, I could think of no better person to kick off my first episode than Josh Whitman, the Director of Athletics for the University of Illinois. Josh was hired in 2016, and at that time he was 37 and the youngest athletic director among Power 5 ADs. In addition, he's a proud U of I alum and football player and has both his bachelor's degree in finance and law degree from Illinois. He has practiced law in D.C., clerked for Judge Michael Caine in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, and played pro football. He started his collegiate athletic administration career also at Illinois before he moved on to the University of Wisconsin La Crosse and eventually to Washington University in St. Louis before returning to his alma mater. Josh did not inherit a juggernaut. The football program and basketball program, the flagship and revenue drivers, and perhaps drainers for most college programs were immersed in controversy and with very limited success. Competing in the Big Ten doesn't make it any easier. But Josh jumped in head first. He made a high profile change with his head football coach within days of taking over. He also has brought in five new head coaches, including women and men basketball coaches. He has become a prodigious fundraiser, which will help in constructing or updating facilities to improve athletic performance. And performance has improved, and Illinois has jumped 18 spots in the Learfield Directors Cup standing among Division I programs. And Illinois varsity teams have made 18 pro NCAA postseason appearances during Josh's Illinois tenure. At After the Buzzer, we want to learn and talk about success, smarts, and strategic thought. At Illinois under Josh Whitman, unity, develop, inspire, and achieve are the core of their mission statement. In my great conversation with Josh, we talked about Josh's background in the law and how he uses his legal background in his day-to-day work heading an athletic office. We also talked about the life of student-athletes and in the wake of the Rice Commission report, what programs can do to help student-athletes manage time, manage their studies, and succeed on and off the field. Josh also tells us the one thing he would do away with if he had a magic wand. And I'll give you a hint. It involves tweets, likes, and shares. My thanks again to Josh Whitman for his time. Here is my conversation with him. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you. So, Josh, you have a very interesting career. You uh, played football at Illinois, as I said, and then you worked there for a little while, and you played a little pro football. Give us a little a bit of your background. Well, I grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana, uh, not far from Purdue University, and I had the opportunity to cross the state line, studied finance here at the University of Illinois, played football in the late 90s. Uh, left here and, and bounced around the National Football League for about four years, made a run at that, and then returned here in about 2005, uh, went to law school and, and worked here in the athletic program. Uh, mentor of mine, Ron Gunther, was the athletic director at the time, and 
He provided me incredible opportunity and exposure to all the different inner workings of a major college athletic program. Uh, left here and clerked up in Chicago for a year and then worked for a large law firm out in Washington, D.C. for a short time before re-entering into college athletics. It was up at UW-Lacrosse and, and then at WashU, as you said. Uh, for me, it was really the fulfillment of a dream when I had a chance to come back here to my alma mater. I'd, when I'd first gotten to know Ron as an undergraduate, I identified being a college athletic director as my goal. That's what I wanted to do and never really was even bold enough to think that I might be able to do it here and to do it as young as I was able to get the position. And it's just been uh, really a, an incredible honor and, and one that I continue to be excited about every day. So why college athletics? You said that was sort of a dream of yours? Yeah, I think for me it was really the place where I could intersect two things. One, it, it was an intersection of my love for sports, which I have grown around my entire life. And then secondly, was a connection of uh, of my business training and of higher education. I, I grew up around education. Both of my parents were teachers. And from my earliest memories, I had a book in one hand and a ball of some form in, in the other. And I just love the college environment. I, I believe in the uh, the social importance of college athletics, the way that we bring together communities of people, whether it be on a campus or, or in a local neighborhood or city or even across an entire state. And so it, to me, there, there's just so much good about college athletics, and, and it was a great opportunity for me to use my, my business background and my legal training, perhaps in a, a slightly non-traditional sense. So why the law, Josh? Tell me what made you decide that you were going to become a lawyer? I always encourage students when they talk to me about careers, I, I tell them they need a circle. They need an inner circle of people who are going to help them make important decisions about what steps to take in their, particularly in their professional life. And for me, when I was finishing up my football career, I, I talked to a number of people I trusted, people who had become mentors and friends, people who knew my goals, who knew my skill set. And there was certainly an understanding that I needed to pursue additional education. And the question was what degree made the most sense. And uh, given my, my business undergraduate, I think there was a feeling that uh, an MBA would be a little bit redundant. And, and I, I felt strongly that I wanted it to be a professional degree. I, I didn't think that a master's in, in sports administration, for example, would help distinguish me enough from other people who were pursuing the same positions that uh, that I was interested in. And so uh, the law at the time was just becoming more and more commonplace among major college athletic directors. Uh, you had uh, Jack Swarbrook uh, become an athletic director out of a, a firm in Indianapolis. You had Fred Glass become an athletic director out of the firm in Indianapolis. You had Morgan Burke at Purdue who uh, was becoming an AD. Pat Hayden uh, out at USC was an athletic director and attorney. So it was it was a little more commonplace, and it seemed to me that as the business evolved, as the complexities increased, as the risk magnified, that having that skill set would serve someone sitting in this chair well, and uh, been pleased that I was right. From a, a career uh, trajectory point, you clearly were right. But what about being a lawyer? Do you think has helped you in your position now? I talk a lot about what I call the soft skills of lawyering. I think that every day I use certainly my communication skills, learning how to, to write and speak effectively, how to be a strong advocate for a cause. I certainly have changed the way I approach problems, 
how you think creatively about different issues, how you evaluate situations from all different angles and perspectives. Um, and then you, you do have occasion to use even more directly your lawyering skills, whether it be in negotiation, contract review, and writing uh, on occasion, criminal law, uh, which is something that we'd <laughs> rather not, not use. Right. Um, but the, the, it, it pops up in all different settings, and, and I have been really fortunate to have that training, and, and I've found it to, to be very useful on a, on a daily basis. What you're describing sounds very familiar to sort of the way I approach it. Now, I'm much older than you, so, you know, just the ability to solve problems, the the law school to distinguish you in, a, in sort of a career path are all the things that I considered back in the late 70s when I was making some of the decisions that you made. Uh, so after you went to Illinois and working in Ron's office, you then go to University of Wisconsin-Whitewater uh, and then to Wash U, two Division three programs. Talk about a little bit about the challenges of a Division three program, and, and as you look at that, as they kind of compare to uh, Illinois, uh, you know, a Power Five conference uh, job. Yeah, I think for me that was probably the most important professional decision I ever made was to leave Covington and go to Wisconsin Lacrosse, where I'd, I'd never been. I'd, I'd never been in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. I didn't know anybody there. I, I was unfamiliar with Division three. I grew up around Purdue and around Illinois. And I took a 50% pay cut and moved across the country. And I believed in the vision. I believed in the the profession. And it was eye-opening. It was an unbelievable experience to be up there for four years, to have my horizons broadened to include that Division III experience, to understand uh, those student-athletes, those coaches, those communities, and, and how they rally around that opportunity. It did require some recalibration. Uh, there's no question that it's a different environment. You walk in, you certainly don't have the resources at your disposal that you do at a place like Illinois. Uh, you're not going to have the same microscope that you're operating under. You're not going to have as much visibility. There won't be as many fans in the stands, but it's a very pure form of athletic competition. And Your student-athletes are there for the right reasons. Uh, they're not on athletic scholarships. And they're doing it because they, they love to compete. They love to participate in their sport. And, uh, and, and so it was incredibly rewarding. And the thing that I loved about it was in that environment, your staff is so much smaller, it forces everybody to be a generalist. You, you have to become active in all different areas of the operation. And I think that has really helped me as I've transitioned into different positions now is I'm certainly not a, a master of anything, but I have tried almost everything. And right. uh, and that allows me to have a fluency as I, as I work with our marketing staff or with our event management staff or our facility staff that I think someone maybe who came up through the Power Five and was a specialist from the beginning maybe would lack. Uh, and so uh, it, it's been a great experience. And then, of course, transitioning here to Illinois, in a lot of ways, it's different, but in I would say the most important ways, it's very much the same. You're still dealing with student-athletes. You're still talking about education. You're still making personnel decisions. You're still raising money. You're still developing a strategic plan and executing that plan. So there's a few more zeros on the balance sheet. There are a few more uh, staff listed on the directory, uh, a few more people in the stands, but at the end of the day, the core mission of what we do, I think, is very much the same, whether you're talking about Division One or Division Three. I'm not as familiar with Wisconsin-Whitewater, although I did go up there once when I was with the Rams and we were looking at training camp. What do they used to call that, the Cheese League up there? Uh, and it's a great league, camp. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah a lot of state, all state schools, and now having traveled around a little bit more widely in Division One, what I've realized is that a lot of these upper tier Division Three programs could compete with a lot of the lower tier Division One programs. Uh, yeah. It's really just a question of of what that school chose to brand itself as, what what division it chose to associate itself with. But in terms of the resources, in terms of the quality of the competition. Some of these these powerful Division three programs really could I think hold up well against even uh, some mid tier Division one teams. So it's uh, right. it, it's interesting up there that the Cheese League, as you said, has really stepped forward and has developed a nice brand. But WashU now I'm a little bit more familiar with because they're here in St. Louis and you're dealing with really really smart kids that are getting into one of the top schools in the country and. Having read stories about WashU players, I mean, you got a bunch of kids that were on that team that were going to go to med school and were juggling labs. So it's a little bit of a different experience for the student athlete at those schools, is it not? It is, and and that was also a bit eye opening for me. I, I'm a public school guy by nature. I, I grew up in the public schools. I'd never been associated with a private school, and so to to be at WashU and and to be around uh, students of that caliber from that background was different and certainly exciting to understand what some of their their dreams and aspirations were and and some of the different doors that might be open to them. Uh, But but even so, at the end of the day, it still was, whether you're talking about UW-Lacrosse, WashU, or the University of Illinois, it doesn't matter how many people are cheering them when the lights go on. They're still 18 to 22 years old. They've still got uh, a lot of the same challenges that they're working through. They're learning how to be adults. They're dealing with uh, family issues, they're dealing with maturity issues, they're just struggling to, to learn about themselves and, and make good choices every day and, and put themselves in a position to be successful when their time in college is over. And and so at that level, it really was, was very much the same. Uh, and, and that has been very rewarding for me. Well, that's a perfect lead into talking about you returning to Illinois and the program that you inherited wasn't, you know, not at the top of the Big Ten when you got there. Within days, you hired Lovey Smith. You eventually hired a new basketball coach after the season, I believe, right? A new women's basketball coach. What was this, kind of the status of the program that you inherited, and where do you feel you are right now? I think we were a program that, that needed attention. We, we were a program that uh, had so much potential and that needed a, a new vision, some new energy. You know, it, it was a place that understands what it takes to get to the top of the mountain, but we'd struggled to stay there. And we'd had some, some self-inflicted wounds over the last number of years leading up to, to my arrival. And uh, we just we needed to, to turn the page and put a bold vision in front of people and, and move forward. And I think that over the last two and a half years now, we've uh, done a lot of heavy lifting. We've, we've put some big plans in place. We've move some people around and feel really strongly about the leadership that we have within the program from our coaching staff and our our senior administration and excited now about starting to see some of these plans and some of this hard work that has been put in here over these last years start to bear some fruit and and ultimately yield uh, greater success uh, both uh, in the competitive arena but also in the classroom and, and in the personal lives of our students. So now you're you're the new guy coming in, uh, and I assume that you inherited a staff. Uh, how do you get them to buy into the Josh Whitman vision of the program? Well, I think that's the real key. Is to me, leadership in an organization like this one is all about trust. And 
I think that any organization rises and falls with how much the people within it trust each other. And we've tried to be very communicative with the staff. We've tried to be transparent. And we've invested a lot of time in getting to know people, understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Uh, We don't shy away from difficult conversations. We try and put people in positions to play to their strengths. And and so it's it's been a process. It, you you want people to know that you're invested in them, that you're prepared to stand shoulder to shoulder with them and uh, swing the sledgehammer right next to them. And and I think there's a lot to be said for that. They don't they don't want somebody that's going to sit up in the the marble tower and and look down. I think they they want somebody that's going to roll their sleeves up and and get dirty with them. And um, that's what we needed here. We needed a lot of work to be done and. And we've, we've, I think, got a great team in place, people who care a lot about this place, and uh, and they've come together well and, and just really proud of the work that they've done and, and continue to do to help Illinois realize this incredible potential that we have. So what keeps you up at night worrying about being successful in, at, at Illinois? What are, what are the problems that keep Josh Whitman up at night? I think it's probably a lot of the same things that keep my colleagues up at night. I think that we work in an increasingly complex and difficult industry, and we're in a place now where the stakes are very high, the visibility is incredibly high, the pressure sort of comes with it, and we want our programs to be successful, but we want, I tell our staff, our student-athletes, when we get to the top of the mountain, we don't want anybody to be able to question the means that we use to get there. And as you see now, as anytime you get on uh, ESPN or, or get on the news, you, there's always a headline about something that's happened wrong in college sports. And so uh, we work very hard at what I call playing defense. I think that my job is divided, and I, I have some things that are offensive in nature, and I really enjoy those and have a growing number of things that are more defensive in nature. And uh, don't always enjoy those as much, but they're every bit as important in making sure that we avoid what we call capital C crisis, that we're able to continue executing our plans because we've got a good foundation in place, a good culture. But it's hard because in college athletics, there are literally thousands of people out there who I will never meet who have the opportunity to do something inappropriate that could end an entire era of the program, and that's unsettling, to say the least. Yeah, I would imagine that that would keep you up at night. One of the things that we had done here at our firm is kind of look at a program which we called an off-season audit, which was we would go in the college programs and sort of help them identify whether they had the proper processes in place for when something happens. Uh, not to talk about another school, but like what happened at Ohio State and when – somebody's not taking the steps because maybe they don't know what the steps are. I always say coaches are like parents to some extent. That's It's their program, and their, their first instinct when something bad happens is, how do I fix it? Not, what do I need to do to make sure that we're compliant with what our protocols are? Do you have a, I mean, I think your legal background probably has set you up for putting in those proper procedures uh, so that you catch yourself or, or you catch the problems early. I think that's right, and and I think what you just said there at the end is the key. I I think that too often people think, well, that's too hard, or we'll just we'll deal with that later. And and I think a hallmark of our time here has been 
we're going to be as proactive as we can be. And, and when potential issues crop up, we're going to address them, we're going to talk about them, and we're going to fix them. And I think the other thing that we've seen is sometimes programs struggle when they don't have a good plan. And so we've we've worked aggressively here over the last number of years to try and anticipate potential problems, to try and self-evaluate and look for gaps or risks uh, within our existing protocols and ensure those up. Uh, and it's been a, an ongoing process, a very intensive process, but one that I think has paid dividends, will continue to pay dividends. Um, it really comes down to your culture, but it comes down to you planning in advance to confront some of these things. And one of the challenges is you can't, of course, predict exactly what's going to happen. So you've got to put things in place that are flexible enough, uh, but yet uh, smart enough that you're able to address uh, a number of different issues that may arise. Yeah, I had a conversation with an athletic director from a very big program who told me that they were very proud of the fact that they had embedded into their football program a compliance person. And I kind of said to them, do you think that's a problem that, you know, your $45,000 compliance coordinator who's embedded in your football program is really going to tell your $3 million football coach that he can't do something? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just thought that was problematic for him. And they ended up getting in trouble, but I'm not sure that was the reason. But they ended up getting in trouble because the coach was taking things into his own hands. Uh, and that's something that we've seen, I think, time and again. And, and that's as we've put some of our processes in place, that has been a focus is looking for the appropriate places where it's better to pass the baton to somebody else than it is for us to carry it forward ourselves. And so when it comes to evaluating misconduct, by our student-athletes, for example, we're going to rely on other people to conduct those investigations and to uh, look into what what may or may not have happened. And certainly, back to your point about the compliance coordinator, I think what's important in those settings is the compliance person doesn't have to tell the football coach what he can or can't do, but he's got to be able to tell the athletic director. And then the athletic director can stand there and, and provide that support. And that's, I think, important is everybody's got to answer to somebody else and making sure that that those positions stay in balance relative to, to where they fit within the organizational structure is, I think, really critical to these programs being run well and, and uh, appropriately. Yeah, I mean, some of the, what we're seeing, as you say, when you turn on ESPN or you pick up a newspaper is academic fraud, students having trouble in school, and uh, and part of it may be because they're spending so much time on the sports field that it's hard to keep up academically. How do you deal with that balance? We, we have invested incredible amounts of resources in making sure that our student-athletes have uh, people and facilities and programs around them to help them navigate being a college student-athlete. We, we tell them when they come to campus that being a student-athlete at the University of Illinois is hard. It's supposed to be hard, and there's there's no way around that. But that if they invest their time and their energy and their focus into fulfilling their potential as a student, as an athlete, as a person, that this place will change their life. And our obligation to them is, A, not to bring them here if we think that with all the support that we're able to provide them, they still can't be successful. Um, but assuming that they can be, we will bring them here, and then we have a responsibility to them 
to be sure that they're receiving the support that they need uh, in terms of their academics, in terms of their life preparation, in terms of their career development, their leadership, so that they're able to navigate all those things. And it is, it's tough. Uh, each hour of every day is a function of them deciding how best to spend that hour. And, and a lot of those hours are spent on football or, or some other sport, but a lot of those other hours are spent on the books and, and making sure that they're hitting the, their coursework the way that they need to in order to ultimately uh, earn their degrees. The Commission on College Basketball uh, came down with some new recommendations. Part of them were on AAU basketball and allowing players to have agents coming out of high school to evaluate where they stand. I had a son who played a lot of AAU basketball, and I saw the sort of the seedy side of that business where there are just people just hanging out, uh, you know, not necessarily looking out for the best interest of the kid, but looking out for the best interest of, of themselves, whether it's placing them somewhere or sneakers or, or just being a big shot in the community. And now we've added that other layer of, well, now they can get someone to evaluate. Do you see that maybe causing some problems down the line? Uh, I hope not. Certainly time will tell, but I, I applaud the NCAA for, for taking the steps that they have. Uh, I think that for once, I think we're, we're taking action. Although the plan might not be perfect, I think we are not waiting for perfection. I think we're, we're just looking for progress. And I think that the, the steps that they put in place on the heels of the Rice Commission promise progress. And we will see over time which things yield better results than perhaps others. But I, I think that the NCAA has sort of stepped outside of its standard procedures in order to, to move as proactively and quickly as it has. And uh, I really tip my hat to the organization, to the membership, because I, I know that uh, our intentions are right, that our hearts are in the right place, and we'll try some of these things out and see what the impact is. And and, and you're happy with sort of the, the autonomous five and the, the group of the bigger colleges that are kind of able to be more nimble and make decisions? You think that's working well? I do. Ultimately, it allows us to invest some of the resources that we have at our disposal into a superior experience for our student-athletes, and uh, that's ultimately what matters. And, and as some of the, the dollars available in, in some of the programs at our level uh, has increased, it's right that we reinvest a significant portion of those dollars directly into our students. And uh, the Autonomy 5 legislation allows us the flexibility to do that, and I think that we've seen some some big wins uh, over the last number of years uh, that have demonstrated what that flexibility means for the experience of our students. Jim Delaney, your commissioner, I, I've talked to him a number of times and read some things that he said. He thinks that we're asking our student-athletes to spend too much time on their sport, and therefore they're missing out on some of the the college experience. Basketball, for instance, is at least a two-semester sport. Football, if you go to a bowl game, is a two-semester sport. Is there a way that maybe we should look at making these one-semester sports so that the second semester the kid can go on a exchange program, can do some things outside of just being an athlete? Yeah, I, I don't know that that's necessary. I, I think in reality, most of our student-athletes, certainly the ones who grow to be the most successful, are driven internally to be great. And so whether you put artificial restraints on their required activities or not, I think they're still going to spend uh, roughly the same amount of time invested in improving themselves athletically, putting themselves in a position to be the best they can be. 
I think that we have made some modifications to their schedule that will ultimately serve them well. We went through a pretty rigorous time management analysis as part of the NCAA process here in the last two years uh, that, that frees up more time for them, uh, clears them uh, with some days off. It allows for uh, more days throughout the year where they don't have any uh, obligations. And also, I think you've seen a number of schools now start to encourage their students to leave for a portion of the summer, uh, allows them to, uh, as you said, and perhaps take a trip. We've even had football players uh, here in the last couple of years who have taken uh, international trips during the, the short summer session at the beginning of the summer term. And so I, I think that we're, again, making positive steps in the right direction. Is it perfect? No. But I think that the untold story a lot of times for these elite athletes is that they, they want to be great. They're driven to be great. And when I was playing football, I didn't need a coach telling me, you need to be in the weight room at this time to lift. I, I wanted to be in the weight room to lift. And most of the athletes who are competing at this level have that same opinion. Well, that's great. So, I mean, you said that it's not perfect. So I'm making you the college star. What would you, what would you change to make it perfect? There are a couple growing challenges, certainly. I think that social media is growing to be a real concern in terms of the direct access that it gives anybody to our student-athletes. There was a time not too long ago when I think there was a a general understanding that amateur student-athletes, college student-athletes, were sort of off-limits to fans. If they wanted to get on a radio show or they wanted to write a letter to the editor in the newspaper, they, they knew that they could take shots at professional athletes. But when it came to college sports, they, they took their shots at the coaches, they took their shots right. at the administration, um, but they refrained from directly attacking the students. And what's happened now in the age of social media is every fan has a direct access point to our student-athletes, and it's really, really hard for them to persevere in the face of adversity when they have uh, Joe Fan on the other end of Twitter telling them how bad they stink. Uh, and, and that's hard for a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old. And again, I think that's sometimes lost. People forget how old these people are. They think because they see them on TV or they're catching passes in front of 95,000 people that they're full-blown adults with all the wisdom and, and maturity and tough skin that comes with that, but they're not. And that's asking a lot. Of, of our students, and, and it's something that I, I hope we can remedy. And I, I don't have a great solution other than to ask all of our kids to get off social media. But realistically, that's not about to happen. So I, I think that's one growing concern that I have is just the the mental health of our student-athletes. I think we're seeing a, a growing number of student-athletes struggle with mental health in part because of social media, in part because of the expectations that I think are heaped upon them by fans, by communities. And and it is, as I said, it's hard to be a student athlete at Illinois or any other school like Illinois. And, right. uh, and so helping them navigate um, students are playing earlier than they ever have. We're seeing fewer and fewer red shirts. They're being thrust into the limelight even earlier than they were 10 years ago. And they're being asked to be successful at a major research institution, but also, in front of a big spotlight on the athletic side as well. And, uh, and that's tough. That's tough. Right, so especially I, when you're fundraising and you're charging for tickets and you've got luxury suites and as your fans and boosters are spending more money, they kind of lose the 
the line that these are kids as opposed to these are, you know, your Chicago Bears. You can boo the Chicago Bears. You shouldn't boo an 18-year-old. I think that's right, and I applaud our fans for having expectations. We want them to expect us to be successful, but it's really about how you express that expectation and to whom you express it. Um, I've just been around so many of these students, and I've seen them struggle under the weight of the public limelight and the pressure that comes with that. And uh, you know, We sign up for that. I signed up for that. Our coaches signed up for that, but our students, no matter how ready they think they might be, it's a it's an awfully big burden to bear for someone who's 18 or 19 years old. Yeah, what kind of relationship can you have with a student athlete as a, as a, the athletic director? Uh, are you a mentor? You're a friend? You're the you're the man upstairs? Or yeah, I, I think if anything, I, I just I try and be accessible. I, I want to be visible. I want them to know who I am. I, I want them, in a large part, to kind of dictate what kind of a relationship they want with me. If they want to be more active with me, they want to have meetings, they want to sit down and talk about their experience, or if they have an interest in getting into our business, I always welcome those things. I I try and be a resource for them. I want them to feel like they have a place they can go. And we have a dozen different people within our staff for each student-athlete who are are our outlets or resources so I'm just one of, of many, whether it's an athletic trainer or an academic advisor, a nutritionist, a sports psychologist. But I, I want them to, to know who I am. I want them to, to know that I'm going to be a, a present, visible, accessible part of their experience here on campus. I, I think it's important that I not just be the guy upstairs, that they see me as an active part of their experience as an Illinois student-athlete and that they're able to uh, take advantage of me as a resource in whatever way makes most sense for them as their time here unfolds. What will be a success for Illinois football and Illinois fall sports this year? How, what will make Josh Whitman smile all going into the basketball season? Yeah, for us, it's it's really about improvement. I think across the board, whether you're talking about fall, winter, or spring, I, I think that we've circled the 18-19 year as, as the year that we expect to, to start to see progress in terms of our on-field, on-court uh, performance. And, again, we've done a lot of heavy lifting, put a lot of groundwork in place, and uh, and are looking forward to more competitive programs across the board. And I, I think our fans will be excited. I think we're going to uh, take some people by surprise and uh, look forward to uh, to what the seasons hold for us. And five years from now, Josh, what will you want people to be saying about Illinois athletics? I want us to be the model. Uh, I want us to be the the model athletic program across the country for a place that is able to pursue athletic, academic, and and personal excellence in equal pieces for all of its student athletes. I think our, I really think our mission statement says it best: unify, develop, inspire, achieve. Those are the four things that we've identified as our reasons for being. And we want to bring people together. We want to encourage them to be better. Uh, and we ultimately want them to be successful. And that can play its way out in any number of different contexts. And and we've got that potential here at the University of Illinois. We've got one of the great alumni bases in the world. We've got one of the great academic institutions in the world. Uh, We're in one of the most populous states with one of the best cities. There's no reason that we can't put all those things together and, and capitalize on it to make one of the great athletic programs in the country as well.
Well, being in the neighboring state with you and having an office in, in Illinois, we're, we're rooting for all of that to happen. We'd love to see you have success getting to know you for, you know, over the past few years. Uh, I'm rooting for you personally and professionally that you have success and really want to thank you for uh, doing After the Buzzer. Uh, so, Josh, thank you very much, and good luck on Saturday. Good luck for the rest of the season. Good luck on uh, with all your programs. It was my pleasure, Bob. Thanks for the time, and, and look forward to talking to you again soon. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish, and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.